Thank you for listening to this podcast. In today's episode, due to this year's economic and market turmoil, 2022 will go down in history as one of the worst years for bond investors. Credit conditions could become even worse if we see a prolonged recession in 2023. But at the same time, bond investors welcome the renaissance of high interest rates. And according to my guest, Jonathan Butler, high yield can rightfully be called high yield again and offer opportunities in 2023. Jonathan expects the economy to remain in a benign default environment for the next few years. My name is Marije Groen and together Jonathan and I will talk about the outlook for high yield. A very warm welcome to you, Jonathan. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Good to be with you too. Uh, Jonathan, could we maybe start off this interview with you telling us a bit more about yourself as an introduction? Sure. So so I've been involved in the, the high yield and leverage finance markets for pretty much all of my career. Um, unfortunately, that's quite a long time ago now, but uh, started in 1994. Uh, so have been involved through various uh, recessions and crises. Some of the more recent ones being obviously the financial crisis, the, the European sovereign crisis, uh, obviously COVID in the last uh, few years. And then we thought that we were going to have a, a more benign and better 2022, but Obviously, things haven't turned out that way. No, exactly, exactly. We never know what we're going to get, right? Um, The bond market was hammered this year, uh, Jonathan. What would you say is the most important lesson that you take with you into 2023? I think you just always have to keep looking forwards and trying to work out what we think conditions are going to be. And I had at the end of last year, a lot of people asked me questions about what keeps me awake at night. And I actually generally was telling people in sort of Q4 last year, I'm sleeping quite well. We're coming out of COVID. I think things are improving, but I can't see anything on my radar right now that's bad. But something will come and that unknown risk is what's nerve wracking. So I actually did get some good sleep at the end of last year. Uh, yeah. But I mean, obviously, Didn't last with, long, right? with interest <laughs> yeah. rate risks and Mr. Putin, then that suddenly all changed. Yeah, exactly. So just keep the environment changes and you have to adapt to it and... Uh, It's a great time to obviously be an active manager, but uh, anticipating sort of what risks are out there and what threats are coming is very important. Um, Let's talk a bit more about those those risks. Um, High yield bonds are living up to their name this year. Um, Would you say that is the only reason why this part of the fixed income market is looking increasingly appealing? Well, high yield bonds have more than doubled in yield this year. So clearly they're a lot more interesting than they have been for a long time. And aside from crisis levels, they're they're trading at all-in yields that are are generally wide to long-term averages. So I think that that's obviously a reason for their appeal. One of our concerns, though, is we think that we are heading towards recession. And Mm -hmm. the, the spread, so the credit spread on these bonds is not at recessionary levels yet. Uh, so there is uh, the prospect of spreads widening in the near term uh, a little bit further. Uh, but in mm-hmm. terms of yields, we've obviously seen interest rates around many Western economies rise, uh, and including in the euro area with the ECB most recently. Uh, and we, we think that those rate rises are now at sort of peak levels. And, and if anything, we might start to see interest rate rises starting to tail off. But obviously, we're in a different interest rate world. So I think the the all-in yields, we do see room for them to widen a little bit further. 
But if you're a long-term investor, then those yields are obviously more attractive than they have been for many years. Hmm. And I guess the one million dollar question is whether high yield investors overestimate default risk maybe a bit too much, or are they demanding an elevated premium for elevated volatility? I hope you can give us an answer to that. Yeah, so I think European high yield bonds uh, are looking cheap compared to their, their US equivalents. Uh, spreads are higher, and I think a lot of that has come from the the Russia-Ukraine risk and uh, war being on Europe's doorstep. In terms of defaults, we're expecting that we go into a recession, and obviously in a recession one expects defaults to rise. But we're, we're fairly constructive on the overall default rate. So for 2023, we think that defaults probably are going to be somewhere between sort of 25 to 3%. So reasonably benign for the long t- compared to long-term averages and reasonably low. Now, with mm. where spreads are today, we do think that as people realize we're entering a recession, there is room for spreads to widen a bit further. Uh, but we think that we probably get uh, sort of peak wides and credit spreads fairly soon uh, and also with interest rates. So again, it's a, it's a good time for being an active manager Uh, try and avoid those defaults. And I think sort of industries such as consumer discretionary, where people are going through a cost of living crisis, uh, cyclical industries, uh, there are there are issues that we know to avoid that are going to have a harder time. Uh, and it's it's a good time for credit selection. And then I think you can be constructive about where yields are. Hmm. When we talk of that uh, recession risk, uh, a growing number of, of strategists are warning that credit markets are maybe not sufficiently pricing in that recession risk. What, what's your take on this? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, our expectation for the euro area next year is that we are in recession. Uh, we hmm. think euro area GDP will be negative 1%, maybe a bit lower. Uh, so our in-house economists feel that we will have a, a eurozone recession. Uh, and I guess that sort of mirrors a little bit similar to sort of the European sovereign crisis in terms of GDP shock. But the the oil uh, and energy supply shock that we've had this year is is causing that recession. Uh, we think those numbers are fairly evident in Germany already. And I think as we go through Q4 data, that will become more broadly apparent. Hmm. Uh, default rates in, in high-yield bonds correspond to some of the lowest levels uh, in history. Um, in these difficult circumstances, one would say that the only way is up. It's well, we're at record lows, so yes, I yeah. agree with you there. <laughs> We can only go up from here. Default rate, default rates year to date, uh, sort of well for Western European uh, high yield bonds. So ignore sort of the part of the index that's sort of focused around Russia and Ukraine. Uh, it's less than half a percent. So hmm. we're at all time lows. So that yeah, the, there is only a, an increase that can be expected, but we expect that to still be low compared to historic averages. Uh, the quality of the European High Yield Index is uh, double B on average. The companies in the index start out with generally healthy balance sheets. So the near-term prospect of defaults stays reasonably low, and hence this sort of 2.5% level that uh, I was suggesting. Credit quality is impacted by central banks' relentless pursuit of combating inflation. Um, how do you expect this to go forward? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a couple of aspects here. Uh, 
as we go into a recession, we think that there will be some earnings volatility for companies. So we think that uh, earnings and profitability will uh, be under pressure going into next year. And then we've seen a, a dramatic shift in the, the cost of debt. So obviously, with interest rates going up, companies are suffering from uh, not just a rise in interest rates, but also a widening in credit spreads. So we're seeing, particular for some of the lower quality parts of the index, they're seeing a shift from what was an all-in cost of debt in the euro area of maybe sort of 3 to 4% uh, to now seeing companies having to pay close to 10% for their all-in cost of debt. Uh, and so that's a, a material shift of sort of 200% rise in interest costs. Now, the the fortunate bit for them is that most companies were able to refinance in 2021 at very low interest rates. Uh, now, if you have floating rate debt, then the, the, the URIBOR part of that will be increasing immediately. If you have fixed rate debt, then obviously it's a matter of getting in towards your maturity dates and refinancing. But those refinancing issues are going to hurt the, the lower quality part of the market. Uh, and that's what's really driving our expectation of the increase in defaults. And not all of that's going to happen over 2023. Uh, so it's not like we're going to have a peak year of defaults. I think we'll see uh, stress materialize through restructurings more in 2024, 25, and 2026. Uh, right. So a modest uptick next year, and then slightly higher in the following three years. Um, but no significant peak default rate uh, like we saw in the financial crisis. Got it. Um, interest rates and, and company cash cushions move in inverse um, directions. Which corporates do you think will struggle to to repay their debts? It's. I mean, there's there's a there's a combination of businesses. Uh, people have typically talked about corporate zombies. So these businesses with very high levels of debt, uh, and obviously, if you have a lot of debt, and now you have to pay very high interest rates, those businesses are going to end up restructuring. So there are companies that, um, in some instances, they've had extremely elevated debt levels for the last decade, uh, and those businesses will now suffer. There are also some businesses that have come out of COVID with increased debt profiles through COVID. Uh, again, they may suffer. And then also we have, uh, this is going to be a consumer-led recession. So some consumer discretionary businesses uh, are also going to suffer. Uh, if you have a business that's... Uh, uh, dealing in sort of uh, high-end restaurants. Does everyone go to a high-end restaurant or do they go to their local pizza restaurant? Uh, if you used to go to the local pizza restaurant, do you decide to eat in, etc., etc.? So some, some right. consumer discretionary companies will certainly get hit. Hmm. Are there any other risks you see, Jonathan, for, for 2023? The, I mean, the front and centre risks is obviously recession and clearly escalation of the Russia-Ukraine war. And if NATO were to be dragged in, there's a, a consequence that we don't really want to have to contemplate too hard. But there are certainly some significant tail risks out there. What happens mm -hmm. with China? What happens yep. between China and Taiwan? Uh, so there's there's a lot of significant tails, uh, yeah. which are obviously uh, uh, pause for thought. Exactly. You might be sleeping relatively well in December, not knowing what's going to hit us in January, right? Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm awake again this year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. 
Um, we spoke a bit about risks. Let's also look at the opportunities that we see out there. Um, without losing sight of what's going on in the world, what do you think is the most favorable scenario for high yield in 2023? I think that our expectation is that the ECB can continues to raise interest rates in the short term. And mm -hmm. obviously, we've seen uh, three rate rises in as many months. Uh, but as we get through Q4, I think the, the ability for the ECB to continue raising rates will pass. Uh, so we think that we soon get to peak interest rates in Europe. And our expectation is that that peak rate is probably lower than market expectations. Uh, so I think we've, we've seen the pain in European interest rates in high-yield portfolios already. Uh, we think there's a bit more spread widening that will come. Uh, and so that, in the short term, may mean some, some more negative volatility. Uh, but then we feel that we're set very nicely for a period where, over the medium term, spreads we would expect will tighten from elevated levels uh, and interest rates have probably already peaked. So I think that mm. if you can avoid the defaults and avoid the, the, the credits that are likely to have uh, big earnings volatility and earnings pressure, then the all-in yield you'll get from your portfolio over the course of the next few years, we think will be attractive. Mm. And, and what are the biggest opportunities out there in, in 2023? Um, well, I mean, that's uh, in terms of a portfolio, that's there. But I mean, picking, I would say, um, defensive sectors. So mm -hmm. we like, for instance, healthcare. We like uh, cable and telcos. So utility-like cash flows, so things that people need and can't do without. And yeah. obviously avoid some of the luxuries and discretionaries uh, that unfortunately mm -hmm. people are going to have to uh, cut their budgets on right now. Any specifics on, on how you're positioning your, your strategies to take advantage of these opportunities? We're, we have a lot of stuff on our radar. So we're monitoring a lot of names. We're looking at which names we think should mm -hmm. sort of have those earnings falls and which names we think should uh, ultimately have a, a drop in price. We're sort of overweight some of the more defensive sectors, as I sort of just mentioned and outlined. Yeah. Uh, yep. If we believe that we get to peak interest rates and sort of the recessionary environment sort of comes through, uh, at some point we'll then be rotating our portfolio into where we see the, the best relative value opportunities and where we want to rotate our portfolio. Hmm. Um, I have um, a couple of closing questions because we're already reaching the end of this um, this podcast interview. Um, a recent PGIM fixed income study revealed that the corporate profit cycle can be a more accurate indicator of credit market behavior than changes in uh, GDP. What does that teach us about how high yield could potentially behave in 2023? Well, I think that we're expecting uh, corporate earnings to be under pressure. And so I think that that will be one of the deciding factors in spreads widening a bit. Uh, but we also think that GDP will fall as well. So we actually think in this situation, for the outlook, we're going to see negative GDP and a fall in corporate earnings. So all of it points to us that in the near term, we think there's still more volatility But in the medium to long term, it sets us up for uh, an interesting time to be investing. Um, final question. Um, many investors remain leery of jumping on the high yield bandwagon while uh, yields are still rising. What, what's your advice to this group of investors? Well, I think that people have probably been right to be uh, very cautious over the course of 2022. 
Uh, obviously, we've seen yields widen this year, uh, and that's both due to interest rate widening as well as spread widening and the, the Russian war. Uh, but I think that as we get to sort of call it peak bad news, the markets will act far sooner than uh, the broader economy. So once we get to peak bad news, then that's the time that you already want to be invested. And don't wait until post then, because the markets will generally react pretty positively and strongly uh, once they can see light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Thank you so much, uh, Jonathan, for being here uh, with me and talking about the renaissance of high yield. <laughs> That's a pleasure. Thank you for your time. I would like to thank today's guest, Jonathan Butler, for his insights on the high yield investment universe. This podcast is offered to you by PGIM Investments. It was recorded as part of a series dedicated to the Outlook event of Investment Officer. For more podcasts, please visit the Investment Officer website, investmentofficer.nl forward slash podcasts. And if you'd like to know more about PGIM's high yield capabilities, please visit pgimfunds.com. Disclaimer. Past performance does not predict future returns. Target objectives and downside protection cannot be guaranteed. PGIM's ESG processes, rankings and factors may change over time. ESG investing is qualitative and subjective by nature. There is no guarantee that the criteria used or judgment exercised by PGIM fixed income will reflect the beliefs or values of any investor. Information regarding ESG practices is obtained through third-party reporting, which may not be accurate or complete, and PGIM fixed income depends on this information to evaluate a company's commitment to or implementation of ESG practices. ESG norms differ by region. There is no assurance that PGIM fixed income's ESG investing techniques will be successful. For professional investors only, all investments involve risk, including the possible loss of capital. The views expressed by PGIM are not intended to constitute investment advice, were accurate at the time of recording and are subject to change. References to specific securities and their issuers are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. In the United Kingdom, this is a financial promotion issued by PGIM Limited. PGIM Limited is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority of the United Kingdom with firm reference number 193418. In the European Economic Area, this is a financial promotion issued by PGIM Netherlands BV. PGIM Netherlands BV is authorized by the Autoritate Financiel Markten AFM, in the Netherlands with registration number 15003620 and operates on the basis of a European passport. Prudential Financial Inc. of the United States is not affiliated in any manner with Prudential PLC Incorporated in the United Kingdom or with Prudential Assurance Company, a subsidiary of M&G PLC Incorporated in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm.